Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and you are listening to Keeping the Faith. On this podcast, you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. Keeping the Faith is brought to you without ads or commercial interruption of any kind, except for this one invitation. I have friends who are inspired by what they hear from Keeping the Faith, and those friends support my work. But you can support this podcast as well by buying me a coffee. Buy Me a Coffee is a tiny little link where you can throw a few bucks into my tip jar and keep me busy behind the counter serving up the best episodes I have to offer. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash McBrayer, and you can easily and securely donate to the cause. You can also go to my website, ronniemcbrayer.org, and click on Podcast. You will find several ways to lend a hand, and you can also choose your favorite listening platform, be it Apple, Podbean, or Spotify, so that you will never miss a single life-changing, day-making, death-defying episode. Thank you for being a regular listener. Two men were walking through a field one day, and they were conversing happily when they unexpectedly disturbed a giant Brahma bull that was accustomed to having that pasture to himself. And I don't know if you were warned as a youngster to stay away from the bull on the family farm. We certainly were. It was a dangerous thing to do, and these poor guys did not get that notice. And they didn't even know the bull was there until it was enraged and charging at them like they were matadors in the ring. Well, they ran for the closest fence and just as fast as they could, but it soon became evident that they would not be fast enough. The bull would get to them before they would get to safety. And one of the men, as they were running, shouted to the other one, <clears throat> You better say a prayer, man, because we are in for it. And his partner answered much like Tim Riles would answer in that moment. Me? You know I don't pray in public. I can't offer a prayer. You do it. And so the other guy said, well, you better pray because this bull is going to catch up with us and you're going to be talking to God face to face here in a minute. And the man relented and he said, okay, I'll pray the only prayer I know. It's the one my father used to repeat at the dinner table every night. So he stopped, clasped his hands, bowed his head, and with all sincerity that he could muster, he prayed, oh, Lord. For what we are about to receive, make us truly grateful. Amen. It's that time of year. Can you believe it? We stop, though it's busy and we feel harried and we might feel that stopping will only get us run over. But we stop nonetheless. We bow our heads. We offer to God our gratitude. To do this officially as a community, as a nation, is uniquely American. And you know the folklore. 1621, generous native tribes offer from their bountiful harvest. 
the food goods that saved the lives and colony of those British settlers at Plymouth. That's how it's been told to us, more or less. And more than 150 years later, the Revolutionary War fought and won, making those British settlers now Americans. President George Washington established the holiday, declaring this. It's really interesting when you read this from our history. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be. That we may then all unite in rendering unto Him our sincere and humble thanks for this kind care and protection of the people of this country, offering as well our humble prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech Him to pardon our national transgressions. Wow. And since that time, collectively, sometimes sincerely and sometimes not, sometimes in prosperity and sometimes under great pressure and threat, we have prayed the prayer of that dear man attempting to escape the charging bull. O Lord, for what we are about to receive and have received, make us truly grateful. My focus today will be on you, however, not the collective us. There's nothing wrong with focusing on the us. But, how can a group of people be truly grateful if we as individuals are not truly grateful? How can an individual pause on the fourth Thursday of November and say a prayer of thanksgiving over a traditional meal if he or she hasn't been practicing a life of thanksgiving all along? A daily thanksgiving tradition, 365 days a year. So if you would be so kind, allow me to use this holiday when gratitude is on the mind and all around us and bring it to our hearts, to your heart. And by the way, I use the word holiday to describe Thanksgiving. Maybe that holds up, but certainly it holds up for the days to come. The Christmas wars are almost upon us and they are fought every year about whether you should say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays and that just is ridiculous to me. That entire argument, Happy Holidays should be just fine. Holiday is a corruption of the old English word, holy dog, holy day, sacred day. So when you say to someone, happy holidays, you are wishing them a very merry 12 days of Christmas. So either one should be fine. That was a complete aside. Uh, back to the present celebration, because Advent will be here next Sunday. Let's get back to the Jordan River, back to the story of Elisha, back to the story of Naaman. The tiny Jordan River, we sang about it last week, visited it last week, sang about it today, almost in entirety until I fly away took over, and then we'll talk about it again today, revisiting it today. A shallow, few feet wide river, 150 miles long, the Jordan River would be virtually unknown except for two reasons. It holds the world record as the lowest river in the world. And number two, it is the most religiously significant river in all of Western life and history. I said last week that this is because as Christians, our minds go immediately to the baptism of Jesus. He was dipped into those waters by John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. 
and we have been following ever since. And then our minds go to the symbolic meaning of the crossing of the Jordan River. This was the last barrier before the children of Israel crossed over into the promised land. And since that time, the river Jordan has been symbolic of the last passage. Symbolic of death, actually. The last barrier before we enter into our rest, before we enter into the promised land. And then we have this story today. It adds to the symbolism, all the metaphors. The Jordan, as the beginning of the Christian life and Christian baptism, the Jordan as the passageway into all that God has promised us. And here the Jordan River as a source of healing and cleansing power. Like baptism in some ways, it is a chance to begin again. Like crossing over in some ways, death leads to life. But unique in its own way, here is the river of God bringing restoration. God's purifying water washing away all that contaminates and harms and hurts. Naaman, a Syrian warrior, a general, dipped into that water seven times as instructed by the shamanistic holy man Elisha, and he was made whole. What was Naaman's disease? Physically, it was leprosy, this horrible consuming disease of the skin. But Naaman's true sickness was his ego, his pride, the obsession he had with himself, with being important, with being the central character in every story he or others told. He was obsessive about his own uniqueness, his own specialness, Naaman's pride and ego, those were what was held under the water until it drowned. And in surrender, in the humbling of his heart, he found the healing he so desperately needed, and it changed him, and we saw it in the verses read for us today. Naaman is truly grateful for what he has received. Where is that blustering warrior we read about last week? Where is that self-important bloviating general? He's had an attitude adjustment. As a recipient of grace, when you realize how much goodness and grace is operating in your life, it's really tough to stay hard-hearted after that. If you're truly aware of your blessings. Grace and goodness and mercy just seem to melt away our defense mechanisms, our ego obsession. The man who wanted to go back home and not trouble himself with the muddy Jordan River says, now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. The man who blasted Elisha, who was angry and disrespectful, tries to lavish upon Elisha money and treasure. Naaman even loads up, did you read it? Loads up the dirt of the ground in bags and puts it on his donkeys to take it home with him because he, when he gets home with that dirt, he's going to construct an altar on the holy ground from which he found his healing. That is a conversion. That is a transition. And he asked forgiveness in advance. You know, I told you last week that this is a much more complicated story than the way we tell it to children. When we tell it to children, we say, hey, Naaman was a guy who had leprosy. He went down, dipped in the Jordan seven times, and all was made well. That's all we get. But it's much more complicated than that. Naaman was the enemy. He came into enemy territory in order to do this. 
A slave girl who was probably a trafficked sex slave is the one who told him about this. When he gets there, he gets there to intimidate. But he's put on ice by the prophet. And now we get to this stage of the game and we realize that he asked for forgiveness in advance for something that he knows he is going to do wrong. Did you see that? He's actually asking for permission to maintain his polytheism. He said, because I'm going to go back home and I'm going to serve my king and the king is going to go into a different temple and worship a different God and I'm going to have to go with him. And when the king bows, I'm going to bow with him. And I'm asking that you go ahead and forgive me for that. Here's a funny slide for you. The God's name is Rimmon or Ramon. Now, pardon me. I've been laughing about this text all week. Because when I see the word Ramon, I think of Joey, Johnny, Dee Dee, and Tommy. The Ramones. Now, they're worshipped in some places, but this is not the place. Ramon, if you'll look at the, at the image on, the, on my far left, your far right. That is an image of the Syrian god Ramon. He was the sun god. His symbol was the pomegranate tree. So if you look at the bottom right, your bottom right, that's an ancient inscription on a wall in Syria. And I think it has survived the Syrian wars of the 21st century. Right in the middle of that, these four beings are around the tree of life, a pomegranate tree. And that god is Ramon or Rimmon. And because the sun caused the pomegranates and all the fruits to ripen, they worship the sun, they worship the sun god. So what's going to go happen is Naaman's going to go back, and you, did you notice that unique phrase in the Hebrew Bible, when he, when he leans on my right arm? It's a way of saying, I'm his what? I'm his right hand man. That's what the idiom means. And if you're the king's right hand man, you do what the king tells you. So while I'm committed to the God Yahweh, the God who has healed me, I need, I need a little slack here. Because he was going to lose more than his job if he didn't bow with the king, he'd lose his head. And Elisha is very gracious. Go in peace. Complicated story, but a beautiful story. I love it. Still, the lesson to learn is that whether he had to be polytheistic or not, whether he had a slave girl or not, whether he was the enemy or not, Naaman has found a change. Naaman has been broke open toward gratitude because of the grace that he has received. We are all in process. And those with the hardest hearts, and those who are the most difficult to be around, you know those people, sometimes they can have a flash of grace that can begin to be the beginning of a transformation if we allow it to be and give it space. That's what's going on with Naaman here. And honestly, in absence of a miraculous river in which to dunk yourself, learning to practice and receive grace and learning gratitude might be as good a medicine as you will ever find. Are you saying that being grateful will cure me of leprosy? No, but you don't have leprosy. But it sure will cure you of a lot of things that trouble you. 
Robert Emmons, a professor at UC Davis in Davis, California, has been doing clinical research for years on the health benefits of being thankful. His conclusion is that practicing active gratitude is one of the healthiest things you can do for your body, your mind, and your soul. Quoting Dr. Emmons, Simple gratitude can lower your blood pressure, improve immunity, boost kidney function, raise your good cholesterol, lower inflammation and stress hormones by 25%, facilitate more efficient sleep, decelerate the advancement of dementia, and help control glucose levels. Gratitude reduces lifetime risk for depression, anxiety, substance abuse disorders, and is a key resiliency factor in the prevention of suicide. Grateful people engage in more exercise, have better dietary habits, are less likely to smoke or abuse alcohol or drugs, have higher rates of medication, Medical adherence, that is, they follow their doctor's orders. And then quoting the doctor again, gratitude works because it allows individuals to celebrate the present and be an active participant in their own lives. By valuing and appreciating friends, oneself, situations and circumstances, it focuses the mind on what an individual already has. Rather than something that's absent, that is needed, or you feel like you must have. A doctor says this, and we pay attention. Spiritual teachers and the best of religious instruction have been saying this for millennia. The Hebrew concept is Sabbath. Stop. Rest. Get off the Ferris wheel of life for a little while and focus on all that God has blessed you with. The Eastern idea is presence. Be here. Be here now. Live in this moment conscious of grace because this moment is all you really have. In the Islamic tradition, when a Muslim stops to pray, he or she does so five times a day. Why? To maintain a thankful connection with God. And our Christian tradition is just as robust, or at least it used to be, before incessant marketing and 24-hour news and social media feeds and consuming activity became our religion. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Does anybody know that song? Okay, good. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God, was our watchword. Blue laws, do you remember those? How antiquated and weird and frustrating. I thought I'd go out and buy a six-pack today. You can't buy alcohol in this town on Sunday. There's still a few towns like that. But it wasn't just couldn't buy alcohol. You couldn't buy anything. You couldn't get a tank of gas. Because everything would shut down. And as antiquated as that is and was, Maybe in some ways we were better then. Because it forced us to stop. And there wasn't a thousand online purchases that we could make in light of the fact that all the stores had closed around us. Being forced to be still. Forced to focus on the good in our lives. Not what we were missing from our lives. There's another guy in this story today. And I just don't have time to give him a lot of attention, but 
Again, the story is far more complicated than when we first heard it. Gehazi. He's Elisha's servant, and he is offended by Elisha's good treatment of the enemy. Did you notice that? He's even more offended that Naaman offered a literal war pension for his healing, and Elisha refused to accept it. In Gehazi's mind, he's thinking, well, the enemy came down here and got healed, and all those presents he was going to give Elisha, he probably stole from us already anyway. So, Gehazi concocts a lie in this audacious scheme that would make the worst televangelist blush with shame. He fleeces Naaman for a few bucks and some nice clothes and ends up contracting the very leprosy that Naaman had. That consuming ego just keeps showing up, doesn't it? Because that was Gehazi's problem too. And the difference in these two men is one of focus. Naaman turned to the moment and embraced it, was thankful for it, expressed life-changing gratitude because of the grace he had received. Gehazi had everything Naaman had. He had health now. He had a good and promising future. He had a connection with God and with God's holy man, Elisha. But returning to Dr. Emmons' work on gratitude, he could not focus his mind on what he already had, but rather on what was absent and what he desired, what he felt he had to have. And he was eaten alive, literally, by the toxicity, by the anger, by the resentment, by envy, because he had no gratitude In his heart. And gratitude is the antidote. It is impossible. You try me on this. It is impossible. To maintain envy or bitterness. And gratitude at the same time. Impossible. When gratitude takes up that space in your heart. It pushes the toxic away. You don't have space, room, or time for it. Real quick, unmistakably practical here. What is the best way for you to cultivate gratitude? Well, besides getting all the health benefits, you'll just be happier, by the way. You'll be living out God's will for your life. And if you should get struck with leprosy, maybe you'll be healed from it. What a deal. But a little ABC fashion here about cultivating a bit of personal gratitude. A, attitude. You wake up in the morning, and before your feet hit the ground, what is your view toward the world? (laughs) Indeed. What will your position, your point of view toward your surroundings be? Do you enter the day ready to take offense? Are you constantly turning a critical eye toward everyone and everything? Do you have an obsessive mind about what you don't have? What you deserve? What you've been deprived of? Attention to your attitude. You begin to do that as you open your eyes and you check in on that throughout the day. B. Be present. Right here, right now, 
today, this moment, it is all you have. There are things yesterday that you regret, aren't there? I know, me too. There are things tomorrow that you're afraid of. The mights, the coulds. I know. But I don't live back there and neither do you. And you certainly don't live out there. You only live right here. Right now. And if you choose to be in this space, you'll be a lot happier. Because haven't you noticed that when you spend a lot of time thinking about the past, or you spend a lot of time thinking about what might happen in the future, that really the only result you get is anxiety? Can I get an amen? Not a lot of peace in that. But if you can stay rooted and grounded in the moment, you'll find some peace. See, count your blessings. Name them one by one. Dr. Emmons, one last time, he recommends establishing a daily practice of making a list or keeping a journal. Write it down. What gifts have this day brought to you? What grace did you experience today? What did you enjoy today? What happiness did you pass along to someone else today? Whose day did you make a little brighter? Make that list. Check it twice. It focuses the mind on what is true and good and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent. The Apostle Paul says, think on these things. And it's a good practice. And last, and this one is especially for the 21st century, you better learn to disengage. You know that phrase I've been using a few weeks ago, let go or be dragged? It applies here as well. Turn off your television and turn down the noise. Turn off Talk radio, for God's sake. Unplug from the news, the streaming services. Put your phone on silent. You won't die. Mute your notifications. You're probably not so important that someone's trying to get a hold of you. Spend those minutes and hours that you devote to Facebook on something more profitable. Can I get an amen? We have built a society that is an anger machine. If it doesn't make you angry, it doesn't sell anymore. Our media is that way, our social media is that way, and our culture is that way. Now some anger is justifiable, some of it is not, but regardless, you cannot feast on anger hours and hours and hours a day and expect To have a minute's worth of peace in the course of that day. It's not going to happen. And if you want a little more gratitude in your life. You got to disengage. It's going to corrode your soul if you don't. Let your mind rest. Let your heart heal. Take a walk. Surround yourself with nature. Read a classic Meditate. You'll find yourself more peaceful, less concerned with what others have and you don't have, less concerned with what others are doing and what you ought to do, and more grateful in the process. 
I know I'm running a little long. This little ABCD list, I can honestly tell you over the last year of my life, has saved my life. I feel a lot better than I did nine months ago. Thank God. I'm not 100%. And on the days where it's really hard, and I think, will I ever feel great every day again? And on those days where I'm angry, and on those days where I'm frustrated about the world, about myself, about my abilities, these are the very things that I have been practicing. I'm responsible for my attitude and nobody else. Well, that person makes me so mad. They make you mad because you let them. It's all about me there. I'm the only one that can stay rooted in this present moment. I know what God has blessed me with when I count those blessings. And I'm learning more and more to disengage because you know what? There's some things in this world I can really do something about. But most of it, I can't. And it doesn't make me a quitter. And it doesn't mean that I give up on everything. It just means, oh Lord, grant me the serenity. You know the rest? To accept the things. I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. A word from the always timely Thomas Merton. And I offer it as our Thanksgiving prayer. Merton wrote and we pray. To be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything He has given. And He has given everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of His love. Every moment of existence is a grace. Gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted. It is never unresponsive. It is constantly awakening to new wonder and to praise the goodness of God. For the grateful person knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. And that makes all the difference. You have been listening to Keeping the Faith, the podcast home of yours truly, Ronnie McBrayer. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, whatever your socialization preference may be. At Ronnie McBrayer will get you there in either case. Visit my website at ronniemcbrayer.org, and there you can stay up to date. On my speaking schedule, books I have written, projects just over the widening horizon, and yes, you can find out more about me than anyone truly wishes to know. Thanks to Shutterstock Incorporated, located in New York City's Empire State Building, no less, for producing and licensing my theme music. Bobby Rains provides recording and technical expertise. Tim Riles created the Keeping the Faith logo and artwork. And Land Sunshine on My Shoulder Crow is credited with any and all photography. And as always... Toby and Mo, the two small wonder dogs that run my home, assisted with all editing. I'm Ronnie McBrayer. This has been Keeping the Faith, and I thank you for listening.